Birds are found all over the world in all kinds of environments. The largest bird is the nine-foot-tall ostrich. The smallest is the two-inch-long bee hummingbird. Welcome to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. Scientists believe there are more than 10,000 species of birds, and they come in a dazzling array of colors, from the spectacular to the subdued. Birds vocalize, and we classify their sounds as calls or songs. Almost half of all bird species are called passerines. Passerines have feet that allow them to grip, which means they can perch on branches and the like. Passerines also sing, and so are called songbirds. Many people enjoy watching birds and like to attract birds to their outdoor spaces. That's what we'll focus on in this program. My guest is Bonnie Tull, a master naturalist and an expert on creating inviting places for birds. Bonnie, in creating a habitat that will attract birds and provide a safe place for them, there are several main considerations. One, obviously, is providing a safe shelter. So can you tell us about the kinds of shelter, both natural and man-made, that we should think about? Well, there are many kinds of shelter, as you say. Uh, The natural ones tend to be things like tree holes, or uh, old logs, rotten, partially rotten logs, um, brush piles, um, and a lot of these can be uh, improved for habitat. Like if you have a, a fallen tree that has a hole in it, it can sometimes be mounted upright to make a, a, a snag type shelter. And then, of course, there are all the nest boxes that you can build for different species. Um, They are species-specific in specifications. Um, So those include things like owl boxes and uh, different songbird-type nest boxes. Um, and, And like I say, there are resources for finding plans for how to build these online that are very helpful. Right. And, and uh, as you say, some people like to build their own houses, uh, but I understand there are certain features that you want to include if you are building a birdhouse. Can you talk about that? Yes. Yes. As I say, they are species-specific uh, features. Of course, all nest boxes should have good ventilation. They need to be easily open so that you can monitor them and clean them. And they need to be baffled uh, or have some other predator prevention, such as an entrance hole extender or what we call a knoll guard, um, because they're all at risk for snakes and predatory birds, fire ants, raccoons, cats, squirrels. Um, If you don't do something to protect them, the birds have much less chance of being successful. So what, what kinds of, uh, can you describe a predator, a particular predator guard that's commonly used? Well, the one that I use most is uh, a stovepipe baffle, which you can make. You can also buy these from birding supply stores. 
but the stovepipe is easily available in any of uh, the hardware stores and you use a two foot section that's at least seven inches in diameter or more and uh, you put hardware cloth in the top of it and hang it from your pole or post and and so that it hangs freely and that will prevent most animals from being able to crawl up to the nest box um, however it doesn't always prevent snakes big rat snakes so you would need to what I'm doing as an experiment sort of is to put a square of 20 inch square of hardware cloth on top of that stovepipe baffle to hopefully to keep the big rat snakes from going further if they manage to reach the top of the baffle wow. so that's the baffling is what I usually do you can also just do something like the Noel guard which is just a rectangular square of hardware cloth three-dimensional that you staple over the entrance hole I know you're supposed to set the birdhouse at a certain height and that uh, I assume varies according to the bird type most of our uh, passerine uh, little songbirds will <clears throat> you'll need to place it at least five feet off the ground um, you don't want to place it so high that it's hard for you to monitor so I usually place mine between five and six feet off the ground. Um, a, a nest box for something like an owl should be higher, though, like 10 to 12 feet in a tree with, for which you would need a ladder. I usually put them on T-posts because they're easier to, to drive into the ground and to move if you need to. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I, I use six-foot T-posts that I drive a foot into the ground so um, the uh, placement depends on on uh, a lot of things like you you want them at least five feet away from a fence because uh, predators can reach that far snakes can can believe it or not reach pretty far and so can some animals uh, they should Around here, I face them to the northeast because that's the coolest. And, oh. and really, we worry more about heat than we do cold in Texas. Right. And then you, it's in an open or wooded area, depending on your targeted species. Um, owl boxes need to have uh, nearby perching branches and a clear flyway up to the box. And the other thing to, to try to do is don't place them too near to water or food sources because uh, birds don't usually like to nest too close to a lot of other birds. Uh -huh. So the more private places you have on your property, the better for mounting your nest boxes. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here today with Bonnie Tull, who is a, a master naturalist, and we're talking about bird habitats. And uh, so we're talking about uh, birdhouses. Um, are there any, uh, so once, let's say you put up your birdhouse and now you're waiting for the birds to find it. Uh, are there any materials you want to have around there so that the birds can build their nests with it? Yes, you can help the birds by offering uh, some different nesting materials. My favorite is um, wool. Uh, raw wool that 
if you have a source, someone who raises sheep or alpacas or something, uh, you can, when they shear them, or you can just go to those those farms where they are and collect it everywhere. Um, you can put those in little the little wire boxes that suet comes in when you uh, th- that you offer suet in when you buy it. Right. And the birds will readily take that out of the wire box. You can also put wads of string or animal hair if you collect it, even human hair. Um, I like to use the wool because it's waterproof and it won't uh, mat down when it gets wet. A lot of people use dryer, uh, uh, the fluff that comes from dryers, but that, when it gets wet, is not useful. Okay. And then then you can also um, uh, have collect dead tree branches and um, wood chips for uh, putting in the bottoms of owl boxes because they don't make nests, but they do like to have uh, wood chips. Hmm. If you have a source of dead grass, that's also useful. And cedar bark uh, hanging from your trees is useful for birds like Carolina wrens and golden cheek warblers. Food is another major consideration, and there's many different types of bird feeders. Are there particular feeders that attract particular birds? Um, yes. Most birds like platform feeders, but uh, they are hard to keep clean, so I don't use them very much. I find that if you just scatter seed on the ground, uh, it, it will attract all the ground, the birds that like to feed on the ground. And then for, for other feeders where you don't want to be constantly scattering seed, I recommend the uh, Squirrel Buster tube feeder. And I usually use a mixed seed in that because almost all the birds will eat that. It's easy to clean, to keep clean. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it has built-in predator protection. It's it's weighted, so if a squirrel or something heavy gets on it, even a white-winged dove, the portals will close on it. Right. So uh, that's a good one. And then I, I do use a, a uh, screened sunflower tube feeder, but it's baffled both top and below and above because, um, again, squirrels and other things can get on those and clean you out of seed in a very short time. Right. So uh, the other day I was at the hardware store and I saw uh, some uh, bags of seeds that had uh, hot pepper on it uh, to keep squirrels away. Yes. Does those work? Um. Some people say that those work. I, I will confess that I've never tried them. It, it seems a little hokey to me, but they do sell those commonly. So all I can say is you can try them. Um, right. I, I just don't bother. I just make sure that that I keep squirrels, raccoons, and white-winged doves off my feeders. And it's not too hard to do. You don't. If some people want to feed white wing doves, that's fine. Some people want to feed squirrels. I just don't want to do that. They can eat all the seed they want, the fallen seed on the ground that they want. 
Also, you can feed Orioles and Hummers. I didn't hummingbirds. I didn't talk about that, but yeah, they make special Oreo feeders as well as hummingbird feeders. Or you can just slice oranges and stick them in the trees or anywhere, you know, like on a wire that you put up somewhere, and the Orioles will come to that, and it's really spectacular to see them. Wow. So you just uh, take an orange and cut it up and put it on a You you cut it in half, and you skewer it, and uh, you can hang it in a tree or, you know, by a wire. They make special hangers for skewered oranges that you can use, but you don't You can make your own or, you know, just stick them on a twig in the tree or whatever. Of course, squirrels can get to that, too. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm talking uh, with Bonnie Tull today, who's a master naturalist, and we're talking about bird habitats, creating bird-friendly places to attract birds. Um, So uh, one of the foods that uh, many people use is suet. Um, can you talk about that? What is it and why do birds like it? And I understand you can make your own. Yes. Um, I've never had much luck with the bought with the little square cakes that you buy, mm-hmm. but I do make my own and the birds just gobble it up. Um, I can't think of the species that doesn't eat it. I, I mean, I even have orange crown warblers eating suet in the winter. Um the mixed seed is always good. Sunflower seed, most birds, passerine seed eaters like. Niger and mineral blocks are enjoyed by finches. Mill- buntings love millet, so I usually add extra millet in my mixed seed. Right. Uh, peanuts are loved by jays and woodpeckers, and you can buy mealworms for some insect eaters, uh, which include all of the bird parents when they're feeding nestlings. So um, suet, they'll feed nestling suet as well, so you don't want to make the suet too sticky. Um, If you have a compost pile, it will attract gnats, which also attracts hummingbirds. So so, yeah, a, a compost pile is a good thing to have around for the hummers, especially when they're feeding their babies the tiny gnats. Um, and the suet, I have a suet recipe, but it's imprecise. Um, I use a 28 inch, 28 ounce jar of organic peanut butter with probably four cups of oatmeal and one to two cups of raisins. You, you be sure to mix the oatmeal and raisins in the food processor dry and then you add the peanut butter until it's a consistency that you can work it with your hands without it being sticky, without right. it being too sticky. And then you can just put that in any kind of feeder and the birds will just, I mean, I felt like I kept our birds alive during <laughs> snow Mageddon this year because I was making suet furiously or they were just, just so hungry for uh, it. You know, we talked a little about, uh, squirrels and other uh, animals like, I guess, raccoons or other critters uh, that also yes. want your bird feed. Um, other than baffles, are baffles the best way to go? And and can you talk about what exactly a baffle is? Yes. Baffles to me are the most effective 
predator guard. And like I say, they they're mounted. The stovepipe ones are mounted on poles underneath whatever it is you're protecting. Then there are the umbrella type baffles that are mounted above. Right. Uh, they'll you can hang your bird feeder underneath an umbrella type baffle, and the bigger the better, by the way. Um, and that will protect the feeder or the birdhouse, hopefully, from animals like squirrels and raccoons that can climb trees and go down wires. So you've got to protect the, everything from below and above. If you just hang something from a tree, um, it needs to be at least four feet off the ground, and you need to have at least eight feet of lateral clearance because that's the jumping range of a squirrel. <laughs> oh, is that right? Four feet wow. and eight feet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and then uh, when we're uh, cleaning out, or, or actually how often should we be cleaning bird feeders? Well, uh, I, do, I clean the, the tube feeders Whenever I see the seed is sticking in the bottom, like it, if you shake it out and it doesn't run out, right. then it's sticking and you need to clean it. Um, hummingbird feeders, I clean them every single time I uh, fill them. And the way to do that is to keep a spray bottle of, I use 9% vinegar and a brush and spray them and brush them, rinse them well, and then fill them. And that way, the nectar stays fresh. Um, you can you can put a lot of these feeders into the dishwasher, but oh. don't do it with plastic. Like a lot of the hummingbird feeders will melt if you try to wash them in in the dishwasher. Okay. All right. And and, uh, and I, I'm sorry if if you if you want to wash the tube feeders by hand just use a brush and um, some simple green and rinse those well and that that will do the trick toothbrushes work well yeah i agree <laughs> okay um and then uh in addition to the food that we you know buy or make or whatever uh there are plants mm -hmm. that birds like are there any uh plants you can recommend to or what types of plants like berry things that produce berries yes of course different birds like different things but number one is our native plants are the best attractants because the birds are used to those and uh, they're well adapted um, all of our native grasses especially the big four switchgrass eastern gamma little blue stem uh, Indian grass um, provide seeds that many seed-eating birds like. Um, all your berry-producing trees and, and shrubs like yopon, sumac, rusty black haw, rough-leaf dogwood, ash juniper. And please don't cut all of your cedar trees down because uh, those berries provide, provide food for many birds. Um, all the oaks and elm are, are good. 
the live oak, post oak, Spanish, lacy, blackjack, all of those, if they don't provide acorns or seeds that the birds like, they they attract insects. So all of those are good. Small shrubs and flowers like buckeye, mountain laurel, uh, smoke tree, ceniso, turk's cap, milkweed, everyone knows milkweed, bee brush, frostweed, all your sages and salvia, those all attract hummingbirds and, and other kinds. So, um, yeah, native plants, right. the more the better. Right. And, I mean, that, I assume, is, is uh, will work no matter what part of the country you're in, as long as you have plants that are native to that particular region. Is that right? That's right. And, and I'm not, I don't want to say that, non-natives are always bad uh, but some of them can become invasive and they can choke out our natives which uh, so much of our wildlife depends on so we do recommend the non-natives i mean the the natives over the non right they're you know they're adapted to our region of soil and climate and they're more drought resistant Uh, they require less maintenance no fertilizer, more pest resistance. Um, the more wildlife recognizes it, it's just uh, it's more economical, too. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm talking today with Bonnie Tull, who is a master naturalist, and we're talking about creating bird-friendly habitats. Um, so uh, in addition to food, of course, there's water. Um, how how can we provide water? I know uh, you've talked in the past about different ways in which you can have water sources. Can you talk about some of those? Yes. Uh, If you're lucky and you live on a natural water source near a lake or a stream or river, something like that, it's great. But frankly, most, even most people who have property like that, their houses are not close enough for them to really enjoy seeing the birds come to the water. So I recommend uh, shallow bird baths, not preferably not more than about an inch and a half in depth. Um, Man-made ponds, small ponds with trickling water, Uh, even depressions in rock. You can collect rocks that have depressions that you can fill with water and are great natural examples of bird attractants. Puddles, holes in trees, um, uh, drip jugs. You can hang a drug with a pin, a jug with a pinhole in it over a bird bath and it'll drip, drip, drip slowly. And that will attract birds. So you're talking, Um, you're talking about like a milk, an old milk jug or something like that. Old milk jug or, or, you know, gallon water jug or anything like that. Plastic. You can hang over a bird bath to make the sound of water. Right. And you can build wildlife guzzlers, uh, especially larger properties. Um, that's just a, a roof section that you put over a, a barrel where you, where it will flow, the water, the rainwater will flow into the barrel and then it comes, it comes out at the bottom in a shallow pan and that will feed birds and wildlife. So that's something interesting to make. 
So now, why why is it? You know, you mentioned uh, having the water drip. Why why do we want it to? Is it the sound that attracts the birds? Yeah, most yeah most birds, not all of them, but most of them have poor olfactory senses. So sound and sight are much more important. So if you can create a, it doesn't have to be a big sound, a trickling sound, a small waterfall, the drip, like I said. You need to clean those bird baths frequently, so you need a brush, and uh, depending on how dirty they get, I, I usually just brush them out and squirt them, but uh, if they're really dirty, you can use a uh, vinegar or Clorox or um, simple green spray on them. Uh, just make sure you rinse them out well. And then uh, the same goes for your hands. <laughs> when you're out handling all this bird stuff, um, you could pick up some some things that you don't want. So you need to keep your hands clean. Whenever you come in after filling the feeders or whatever you've been doing, you need to scrub your hands well. Are there uh, just in general particular types of landscapes that attract birds, and how can we make our landscape more friendly to birds? Well, the greatest variety of birds are found in edge, what we call edge habitat, and that's the line where open and closed vegetation meet. A really good habitat tends to be layered also. You'll have uh, the bottom will be ground cover like grasses, and the understory will be low flowers, little shrubs. The midstory will be larger shrubs, and small trees, and then the upper story will be your larger trees. That's good advice. So now you're all set to go out and start creating a truly bird-friendly habitat, and then enjoy the company of some fine feathered friends. Please tell people you know about this podcast, and thanks so much for listening. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. Music